0: Welcome to How Story Works from Chipperish Media. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich.
1: And I'm concept developer Dr. Kelly Jones. We're breaking up How Story Works into four seasons, following four topics. Character, conflict, structure, and magic. This is the season finale for Season 2, Conflict.
0: Oh my God. Today we are examining the conflicts in the 2016 movie Arrival. And if it needs fixing, we will use
1: narrative theory to fix it. Story is power, and we don't leave power on the table. So let's get to work.
0: All right. All right, Doctor Jones. All right, so here's the thing. Arrival is such an interesting story, and it's so different from the kinds of stories that I've been talking about, um, you know, throughout this season. It's kind of a varsity level story to discuss, which I think makes it so much fun, um, you know, to talk about. Now that everybody's learned everything about how the rules work, you now you know how to how to break them with Arrival.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this is one of my all time favorite movies. So I am super excited to talk about it. Do you want to so um, do you want to walk us through some of the production info for Arrival? Sure, sure. Arrival was
0: released on November eleventh, twenty sixteen. The screenplay is by Eric Heisserer, based on the short story "Story of Your Life" by Ted Chang. Uh, Heisserer also wrote Bird Box. Uh, which is another movie that you love and a movie that I have not seen. Oh, my God, it's so good. it's a little disturbing,
1: I understand. (laughs) Yes, very. It's great.
0: (laughs) Um, But Story of Your Life, I did read the short story that this was based on. um, And it is really, I mean, it's a really good story. And you had, did you read that story before you watched Arrival? Or did you read it because you watched Arrival? I read
1: it because I watched Arrival. um, And I was so moved. It is Mm -hmm. lovely. It is gentle. It is linguistic. Beauty. It makes physics make sense mm-hmm. to me when you can talk yeah. about physics in a short story and I'm like in it. Uh-huh. That is a goddamn work of art. Um, I highly recommend reading it after you watch Arrival. Like for me, yeah. that order of operations works really, really well hmm. I definitely I
0: would heartily, heartily agree. Uh, this movie directed by Dennis Villeneuve, who also directed uh, Blade Runner 2049. And of course, the movie stars Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner, Forrest Whitaker. Um, and uh, and Amy Adams is a is a favorite around here at Chipperish Media. We love her.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's so funny, because uh, one of my favorite book to TV adaptations was mm-hmm. uh, Sharp Objects. Yes. And mm-hmm. when I first saw that they had cast Amy Adams in that, I was like, really? Singing Dancing Princess in one of the darkest, <laughs> twistiest, grittiest stories? Really? She <laughs> rocked it. She was amazing in that. Yeah. Um, and I love her in Arrival so, so, so mm-hmm. much. It's so good.
0: Yeah. She's got a lot of range for somebody who can really come off as happy and bouncy. Like I remember her, I think the first time I ever like noticed her was in, um, was when she was on The Office, you know, and she played like, you know, Jim's girlfriend who was just cute and bouncy and all this kind of stuff. And then of course you see her in Enchanted and you think cute and bouncy and I've seen her in romantic comedies and all this. Um, But in Arrival, she really brings a a complex
1: performance um, to a role that
0: is incredibly
1: complex yes so much and it's Mm -hmm. so beautiful um but I love this movie and I love contact with Jodie Foster and the the two remind me of each other in a lot of ways um but Arrival you know it's it's dressed up like a sci-fi movie right we're we're talking about Mm -hmm. an alien visitation and for me I'm like no this is a movie about fate and destiny and the human experience but most of all this is a movie about goddamn learning theory and I cannot wait to talk about it
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it I love it you have so many really interesting things to say about that but I'm going to hold that off for just a second so that we can start with our conflict in this movie Um, so just for a general premise for anybody anybody who hasn't seen Arrival yet um, I will say this I am not a big fan of like spoiler warnings I think that if a story is really good knowing what happens can't ruin it for you that said there is a very specific delight to a revelation done really well. And I would say that Arrival definitely qualifies for that. So anybody who at this point has not seen Arrival, I do recommend that you pause this podcast, go watch it, and then come back because yes. we're going to be spoiling some things that are central to how this movie works. Um, but uh, but it's, it's really, really good. And I would say if you can possibly preserve that surprise for yourself, I would recommend that. You do it um that said with all spoilers on the table and the ability to talk about the uh the story in its completeness um let's go ahead and start with the conflict now kelly here we've had this you know uh, this season of how story works conversations where we're talking about conflict you've learned all about all the different kinds of conflict how central narrative conflict works all of it what would you say is the central narrative conflict of this movie.
1: Um, so for me, this is an internal conflict. So we have mm-hmm. Dr. Louise Banks, linguistics extraordinaire. Um, mm-hmm. And, and you know, there are big things going on with the world. You know, aliens have yes. landed all over the planet. Nobody knows why they're here. Nobody knows what's going on. Um, she is called in to try to translate you know, the, the, to figure out the language so that communication can be established. Um, So you have all kinds of conflicts happening, but the, the central narrative conflict for me is that in learning their language, her brain changes so that she is able to, what we would call see the future, but what she's actually mm-hmm. doing is remembering forward, which is fascinating. And we're yeah. going to talk about it but mm-hmm. but when when that is unlocked right through this language she now has the the ability to see her life in its entirety um mm-hmm. and she sees that she is going to give birth to a daughter who is going to die young yeah and so she she has that choice right you still have yeah. free will even when you see what is going to happen you get to decide Am I going mm-hmm. to follow the path that I have seen myself follow? And right. she makes the choice to follow that path. Um, right. and, and so for me, it's mostly her internal struggle. But then you also have the the external conflict, you know, with the man that she marries when he finds out that she knew ahead of time mm-hmm. and he can't mm-hmm. get past that, you know, that there there is right. the conflict there. Um, and then you have the the conflict. I mean, you have scene by scene narrative conflict of her, the woman in her work, where she knows mm-hmm. how to establish this communication. And she's pushing back against the military system who doesn't know what she knows. And then we mm-hmm. get some like movie conflict with like an, an yeah. external antagonist at the end. But for me, this is primarily an internal conflict. So what yeah. about you?
0: What do you think? Okay. First of all, let me just start by saying this. Um... What we teach here at How Story Works at Chipperish Media is, is narrative theory for building a story that is based on, like, a narrative structure. Um, and that is something that, I you know, will work for you in telling a story in almost every instance. That said... The reason why we need conflict within a story is to keep that narrative movement going, is to keep the story fueled and keep it moving. And by building a narrative structure, a conflict, a central narrative conflict upon which you can build a narrative structure, that is how you build the stage upon which your story can dance, right? And then that's when we get into magic, which is going to be the final season of How Story Works, where we talk about the magic, right? Which is, what is your story about? Like here, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about you've got a protagonist and antagonist and they're in conflict and it's mutually exclusive. And then upon that conflict, you build um, the structure and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but when it comes right down to it, like, what is your story about? What are you talking about? What are you doing? Um, the And that's where your magic comes in and the way that you bring um, humanity and humor and pathos and everything everything that you want to talk about into your story. Um, Here we have a story in which um, we have some conflicts and again we do have kind of a weird movie conflict that sort of takes over the last like 20 minutes of the film that feels uh, so much more familiar Mm -hmm. in that sense of classic narrative conflict than the rest of the movie necessarily does Um, uh, that said I think that that is actually the weakest part of this story when we move into that space because this story is really um, I kind of see it at at, at its base level as a, a person versus nature story, right? Because mm. nature is inescapable, but be it human nature um or or the you know the nature of these uh these aliens that have come um that uh, that that's what uh you know where the 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 momentum of this story is coming from that like essential conflict that actually is not really about a goal that is being thwarted um I see Louise as you know she takes off her she's given this encumbering suit to protect her and she takes it off right so that's her like pushing back against something that was stopping her but then as soon as she's done that her goal is to connect with these aliens and that's what she's actually able to do the whole way through right um but what we see happening in the in the background is really a philosophical like a conflict of philosophy and and this actually is expressed, I think much more fully and much more textually in the short story than it is necessarily in the movie, yeah is this question of what is free will?
1: Mm-hmm. like
0: if you know how things are going to go, do you lose your free will and And the reality is that no, she didn't because she did choose. She chose to, to have this, this child, even though that child was going to die. Um, and she knew that that child was going to die. But that, that when you know the future, the now has so much more meaning, which I think is such a wonderful, lovely, crunchy irony. You know, if you know everything that's going to happen, then now matters so much more. We did a podcast called Still Dead about uh, Mm -hmm. the Angel series, right? Uh, The Buffy the Vampire Slayer um, spinoff Angel. And there's this one moment of deep philosophy within Angel for which I love the entire thing, which is is this lovely, ironic twist that if nothing you do matters, then all that matters is what you do, Mm -hmm. you know? That every choice that you make is so much more important because it's not going to change anything because you're just going to have to come back and do that fight again another day. And I feel like this story really lives within the exploration of of that kind of ironic philosophical idea, you know, that like the, that the choice that she makes, the the idea that knowing what is going to happen does not actually take away her free will. It highlights her free will because she still makes that choice. And that's why this thing happens rather than preventing this child from ever being born in the first place by deciding not to get together with her father by saying no, when he says want to make a baby, right? Um, She goes with it because even though this child doesn't live, but it doesn't outlive her, even though she has to experience the suffering and the death of this child. Um, that the the fact that the child existed at all, that the fact that this child had that twelve, thirteen years of life in the movie version, right, um, or sixteen years, something around that. She's like a, a young teen, yeah, young uh, teenager when she dies. Mm-hmm. Um, then uh, that that matters. You know that that it's it's this, there's this line too again uh, oddly enough another Joss Whedon line and we're not going to talk about Joss Whedon right now but uh, from Age of Ultron where Vision says a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts right and that too I find to be like a really lovely idea that that the idea that, that she is going to have this experience with this child because she loves that child and the fact that that child lives for 14 years instead of 70 or 80 or 90 um, doesn't change the value of that life, yeah. you know, and the value of that experience, which I think is just an incredibly beautiful thing to come from, let's not forget, a sci-fi movie.
1: Yeah, which is interesting because I I love a certain kind of sci-fi. Love it. Yes. Probably my favorite mm-hmm. genre. But what it is for me is sci-fi fi. Because what I want yes. is science fiction philosophy. And yes. some sci-fi does this so beautifully that it, mm-hmm. it is not about the technology. It is not about Yes. The aliens. It is not about any mm-hmm. of that. It is about the human experience and how we think about ourselves in the mm-hmm. world and as people. Um, and arrival for me is one of the best examples of of yes. this that I have ever seen. But I love your notes on sci fi and why mm-hmm. we why we want it and what it does. So I'm gonna well, hand what that over good- to you. yeah what good good sci-fi does does. um
0: but here's the thing too is that our our understanding of both sci-fi and fantasy is a little bit flawed um because the way that we see if if uh, generally the way that we look at it is that if it has dragons and elves (laughs) you know it's fantasy and if it has spaceships and everything then it's sci-fi and that that's the difference that's actually not the difference Fantasy is the reality of the world experienced through magic and metaphor. Um, And sci-fi is the reality of the world experienced through the the breaking of rules that allow us to see things from a different perspective. So in this particular instance, because we remove the rule that says you cannot know the future, we get to examine what it means when you do. What does that mean? How does it change if you could yes. know the future? If you do know the future, if you can remember the future, then how does that change the way in which you interact in the world and how you understand? You know, often sci-fi comes up against great philosophical and moral questions. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, like is what is the moral right thing to do if you know that this child is going to suffer and die, but you also know that this child is going to have fourteen wonderful years you know before they get sick or whatever like what is what is the question because we're all going to suffer and die right right the 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 inescapable consequence of love is grief right you're going to experience that at one point or another for everything that you love so do you just not love anything is that mm-hmm. the answer to that question like you know when you're able to kind of break use A scientific reality, if you're able to use fictional science to remove a reality within which we live without question, and you have the opportunity to question that reality, then you learn something about your humanity. Yeah. And that's what great sci-fi does. It allows for great philosophical questions. Um, you cannot separate, I think, the heart of what sci-fi is about from philosophy. And I would argue that all sci-fi is essentially philosophy forever asking the question, what if? I think that just because a movie has spaceships does not mean that it's sci-fi. Um, Star Wars, at least the, the original trilogy that came out in the 70s and early 80s, that was, that's um, fantasy. It's just fantasy in space, you know, but it's still working through metaphor to tell the story, not through the removal of certain rules that allow us to view our own humanity in a different way. I would say that Star Trek tends to be more along the lines of, of sci-fi asking these questions. Um, and uh, and I think that, like, Twilight Zone, actually, I think, has a lot of sci-fi in it and which they would tell these short stories, the original, uh, you know, flavor, uh, Twilight mm. Zone, um, that, um, that it would ask these questions and then show you a story in a world and then suddenly twist it at the end to show you how this is our world with one rule removed what happens you yeah. know sci-fi asks the the question what if you know what if you experienced language a different way what if you could see through time if you knew everything about how your life was going to turn out what if mm-hmm. and then there's this lovely lovely line from the story that I love what if the experience of knowing the future changed a person? What if it evoked a sense of urgency, a sense of obligation to act precisely as she knew she should? Yeah. Um, I love that. And I think that that's what makes this movie work so well and keep up this sense of, of pressure and motivation, um, even without necessarily a really strong central narrative conflict. Now, people who have worked with me know how I am about what is your central narrative conflict? What does your character want? What is this? But the thing is, is that what that does is it provides the fuel for the story and it makes the story accessible. But if you have like, if you have two cars, right? And one of them works on traditional gas that you get at a gas station and the other one can run on, you know, corn oil or whatever, right? It doesn't make the corn oil car are less valid because mm-hmm. it runs on something else. It just runs on something else. And Arrival, I think, is a story that runs on something else. And that is OK. Like, you know, yeah. I want to make it very, very clear. And I've, I've tried to do this throughout the run of, of this podcast um, during our conversations, that these are narrative rules that apply to how you tell a story. But there are other ways. And knowing the rules and then breaking them in ways that allow you to still do what that rule provides. For instance, the conflict provides that fuel, right? If you find another source to fuel your story, as long as you're fueling it, as long as you've got the pressure on and you're pushing that story forward, you're okay. Like, fine, run it on corn oil, like, you know, whatever, like, that's great. Um, It's just that most of them, like, you know, they definitely, the stories will work doing what I'm telling you to do. You know, so that's this is a guarantee like it'll work. You'll make that story work if you follow these general rules of narrative theory. But there are other ways to get to your destination. There are other things that you can do. And I think that you'll know best how to break those rules once you understand them fully. So learn the narrative theory. And then when you have a story that presents itself in a way that can break those rules and still get to the destination the way that it needs to, fair enough. You're good to go. And I think Arrival is one of those stories.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. And I love your description of sci-fi. That was beautiful. Um, It's so good. Oh, my God. It's just so good. (laughs) Um, So we talk about, like, what did this story set out to do? Right. What did it do Mm -hmm. well? Um, And I think Arrival set out to delight my soul on every academic level. And it did that perfectly. Um, Mm -hmm. But really, so it, you know, it set out to bring the story of your life, the short story, um, to Mm -hmm. life as a film. Mm-hmm. and ask very big questions and to give the audience a new schema like a new kind of metacognition a new way of thinking about thinking and yes. and for that I, it it has my heart um but it's <laughs> it's so interesting to see the adaptation from the short story mm-hmm. that you know to to what we get yes. in arrival cuz oh my god Um, But it expands the story text because the -hmm. the short story asks, why are the hippopods here? And it doesn't Mm -hmm. answer it. The movie Arrival answers it. Mm -hmm. Um, It also ups the ante in terms of conflict um, and drama and pain. Because in the short story, uh, Louise's daughter, Hannah, dies when she's 25, mountain climbing. Mm -hmm. So it is instant. Yes. She does not suffer. And she's much she's twice as old as she is in the in the movie. She's twice as
0: old, but also it's more preventable too, which yes. I think is a question. Yes. We're gonna have to answer that yes. question in a little bit. It's but yeah. Very mm-hmm.
1: interesting. Um, mm-hmm. but it holds true to the short story by asking, yes. What if you knew your future? What would you do? Mm-hmm. You know, and and if you know the future and choose the same path, you follow the path you see as Louise does. You are still Mm -hmm. acting on your free will. And that is freaking fascinating. Um, But one Mm -hmm. of the things that both the short story and the film do that I love is Mm -hmm. they are both written specifically for one reader. This is Louise writing to Hannah. This is a she is literally saying, "Okay, child of mine, this is the story of your life. And and so it is that intimacy when a story is written for one specific reader is just Mm -hmm. made to delight me. And I think that both the the short story and the film do that beautifully. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. They really, really do. And I do love that they are, you know, this
0: is she's talking to Hannah.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, um, she's talking to Hannah in the movie and she's talking to Hannah in the in the short story. And um and it is really interesting, too, because, like, you asked the question, she knew what was going to happen to Hannah. Yeah. You know, did she tell Hannah? We do have a scene in the movie where Hannah asks about why her father left. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, and, uh, and, and Louise says, there was something that was going to happen. Um, and I chose, I made a choice and he didn't agree with me. And this thing that was going to happen is unstoppable. Just like you. Yeah. Right? You know, and so we have that moment where she kind of tells her, like she doesn't lie to her. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, but is that is that a burden that she shares with this kid? Does this kid know she's gonna die before she dies? Um, is that something that she would in the in the short story, I, I don't get a sense that like does she tell, you know, Hannah? No. You know, this is just something she writes out, but then never no. gives to her because she doesn't want her to have that burden.
1: Well, the short you know, story addresses that very specifically mm-hmm. in saying, mm-hmm. if you stand in front of the the book of the future, the book of life, it has right. a specific name. Um, the book of ages. The yes. book of ages. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know what's right. going to happen. You do not mm-hmm. tell anyone else. And I think the right. short story even says many people have stood in front of the book of the ages. Yeah. None of them have spoken of it to anyone else. Because right. how could you? How could you? Mm-hmm. Especially if you're trying to show that or tell that to someone who can't see what you can see. Yeah. Right? It's not the same experience. Um, so, which it, is it a gorgeous concept in and of itself. You know. So, she's essentially writing this to Hannah. But to herself yeah yeah
0: yeah I, it's just oh god yeah written for a specific reader who will never read, read it. it yeah 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 oh god it's, it's just it's so so freaking beautiful but what i love so much about your response to this film is the way that it lights you up for <laughs> its learning like, this is just, I love, first of all, I love everything you have to say about it. I've read your notes. Um, but also, like, I love how um, how excited and um, kind of charged up you are by what this movie does intellectually.
1: Oh, God. It's so good. I mean, if, mm-hmm. if someone asked me, they were like, describe the plot of Arrival, I would say it is linguistics and learning theory, and also there's aliens. But this is... <laughs> It's so beautiful Um, Mm -hmm. because both Arrival and The Story of Your Life um, examine the ways in which our language shapes the ways we think and communicate and know. Mm -hmm. And our language shapes and limits our ability to understand ourselves, others, the world, the meaning of our lives, because you can't think in a language you don't have. And mm-hmm. every language offers different ways of thinking. Like they literally shape our brains in different ways. And our language shapes our schemas, which shape how we know ourselves and the mm-hmm. world. And so like I'm like, okay, movie, how story works, plot characters, yes, but but for a minute, we have to talk about how learning yes. works because this is so good. Um, I love it. It's I love so it. Good. So for oh my for God. just a moment, just, we're just, in another podcast.
0: We're in right? the How Learning Works podcast. <laughs> How learning works. Yes,
1: <laughs> Because you can't learn or understand new things without a schema. Um, a mm-hmm. schema is a cognitive framework for organi- organizing and interpreting information and the process for acquiring new information, which is learning. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the theorist who first kind of explain this I was uh, uh, Jean Piaget and and he worked a lot with children as an educational psychologist and so when I teach schema to graduate students the most common example I use is a toddler Mm -hmm. may have a schema for dog this is an animal with four legs and it's shaped kind of this way and the first time they see a cow they may say big dog (sighs) because they don't yet have the schema for cow Right. Mm-hmm. And so we learn by creating cognitive connections to things we already know, which is why as humans, we pay attention to patterns and similarities more than we uh-huh. pay attention to differences and new learning opportunities. Mm-hmm. Cause it takes literal brain power to build or correct or change a schema. Um, mm-hmm. So, like when Henry Ford first introduced the car, it was called a horseless carriage. There is a reason motor speed was described in terms of horsepower because he was connecting this brand new concept to something that people already knew and understood. That is how Mm -hmm. schema works. Um, So, as we have new experiences and we're exposed to new information, we keep building new schema. Like we're never done. Um, Mm -hmm. And old schemas can be challenged and they can be changed, but it is not easy to change a Mm -hmm. schema um, because they're like cognitive shortcuts. So, if you sat as a human, and processed all the information come in at you, you would explode. You would spontaneously mm-hmm. combust. Um, so we have these cognitive shortcuts that really influence what we pay attention to. And we mm-hmm. learn faster when new information aligns with our existing schema. Mm-hmm. So that is why things that challenge us are so freaking difficult. Like, open and closed-minded are literal concepts like this th- yeah. this is a real thing it is hard to learn new things um but at the heart of learning theory like there are like three big basic concepts uh, the first is epistemology which is how you know and the mm-hmm. second is ontology which is what you know and then we have paradigms mm-hmm. which is how you think about what you know So these are three of my favorite words on the planet. And as a movie, Arrival expands our paradigms of epistemology and ontology because this is the most eloquent depiction of learning theory I have ever seen. Like it literally introduces the audience to a new schema. Yeah. And uh, uh, fucking applause. Like, I'm just gonna, like, I can't even stand up and cheer for (sighs) this. That changes her brain to the point where
0: she can see the future.
1: brain, right? And by watching this and by reading this, it changes us, too. Yeah, because the way that this movie makes us watch this movie is different than how we watch movies. And so mm-hmm. it's not a misdirect. They're not lying to the audience. Yes, you know, absolutely. Louise is remembering her future. And we don't know that people can do that because, yes, this is a brand new schema. We assume things are unfolding in a sequence that we expect because our mm-hmm. brains don't have the neural pathways to remember the future. But as hers develop that way, so do ours. Yes. And I just, it it is chef's kiss perfection. I love it. It's
0: beautiful because it opens with the death of her daughter. And you think that this is her past, that this is her backstory, that it's a prologue, right? I'm watching that the first time and I'm like, oh, God, we're opening with a prologue about her tragic (laughs) past, whatever, right? Right. This is a circumstance where that prologue is actually the future, but because she is experiencing everything you know um like concurrently that she is remembering the future as she moves through this experience um it is again like this is one of the things i talk about all the time when you work with the momentum of your audience's presumptions yeah. then you can make them believe one thing because again they're working with a schema that is not the reality of what you're doing with but you're not lying You're not lying about it, you know? Um, And I think that that's beautifully, beautifully done. I also really love too that sci-fi, because it asks these philosophical questions and opens up this philosophical space, sci-fi, like mystery, can be like a mostly intellectual experience mm-hmm. in which you are looking at this from an intellectual place. You're asking these what if questions and then you answer these what if questions and you're like, ah, well, that was really interesting, you know, um, and satisfying in a certain way that that pondering these kinds of philosophical areas can really be. But also it's one of those things with most sci fi that when you get to the end of it, you're like, yes, in this world in which this particular rule, this law of physics and the way everything works has been removed and so we're able to ask these questions. You know, we come back to the real world that we live in in which those laws are very much, those laws, those limitations are very much in place and we don't have to really think about them that much anymore. You know, it's an interesting like intellectual experience and then you kind of wander off and whatever. Um, and, uh, and mysteries, we talked about Knives Out recently um, where we talked about the, the puzzle element of a mystery that can be in itself just an intellectual experience and an intellectual pleasure, you know, that here I am, I've solved the mystery, uh, but Mm -hmm. then we add emotional elements to it. Um, And I personally enjoy both mystery and and sci-fi the most when we have also an emotional story that's being told. And that's what's happening here because it's not just about, like, it is about all of this learning theory, all of these things, these intellectual questions. What do you do? just free will no longer exist when you can remember the future, blah, blah, blah. In the end, it is a love story. Yeah. It is a story about a woman who so loved her child that she accepted, knowing ahead of time, the grief that she would feel. Because most of us, most of us will go into having a child under the presumption that we are going to go first as nature would have it, right? That they are going to outlive us, that we can love this one thing and not have to experience that grief, you yeah. know? Um, and if you knew going into it that you would have to experience that grief that is a consequence of the intense love that you have for a child, um, that's a difficult question to answer. And that I I think most of us end up being lucky enough not to have to, you know, answer that question, not to have to make that choice. Um, But to have such love that, that you will actively willingly go into it, knowing exactly the grief that you are going to feel because you can remember that grief. Um, To make that choice anyway, is such an act of just love
1: yeah
0: um that the, the joy of having you for a little while is worth the pain of not having you for the rest of my life that's beautiful
1: oh it is it is and hearing you you talk that way unlocked another thing for me too that i just realized mm-hmm. that yeah. this is also the love of a woman in her work but adding to the yeah. central narrative conflict in a way that would only be possible in this story louise yeah. makes the choice to be able to remember her future. Like she's hovering, right, between this tacit Mm -hmm. and explicit understanding of what's going on. She realizes she's dreaming in the Mm -hmm. heptapod heptapod language. She knows what that means as a linguist. Mm -hmm. She knows she's becoming fully immersed. And there is a moment when she is on that precipice of realizing, if I master this language, I am going to know my future. And she places her hand on the barrier and takes it like she actively accepts this and then she's able to with her hand draw the symbols Mm -hmm. the way that we've seen the heptapods do it but she not only makes the choice to to live that future and have this baby she makes the choice to be able to know her future and i just realized that and now i love the movie even more
0: I know. Every time I talk about it, I love it even more. <laughs> and active choice is how we understand characters, is how we understand people. Knowing that she would make that choice, given all of the wonder and sadness... You know, knowing that she would make that choice anyway, I think is just such an interesting expression of this character. And um, it's it's interesting, too, because having read the short story, like the mm-hmm. comparison between that going into the adaptation yes. um, and the process of adaptation is always a very interesting process because a form... The way you tell a story will depend upon the form. Right. And the way you tell a short story, like, for instance, in the short story, there was a lot of things that were in the movie for good and ill that were not in the short story. The short story does not address. The short story addresses the the love story between the woman and her daughter um, and the the philosophy and the question of what would you choose? Yeah. You know, does it and it, it spends actually a lot of time asking the question about does free choice become eliminated or does it become even more important, even more real, Mm -hmm. because you know the future. Um, So I find that to be a really, really interesting to be able to go from one form to another form, one form in which you can textually explicitly ask those questions, right? And then another form where you almost have to implicitly present those questions. Uh, They don't have a moment where she in her dialogue says, hey, I wonder if this removes my free will. She doesn't (laughs) actively... Talk about, I'm going to remember the future. We see her experience this and we live through it with her. And they bring us on that journey. Whereas in the story, we have a lot of the text that is actually, you're actually able to live within Louise's mind and understand things the way that she is understanding them, ask the questions that she is asking. Um, So the, the process of taking this short story and adapting that into... A film experience that manages to preserve the heart of all of those questions without explicitly stating them is freaking genius.
1: Oh yeah, it's so good. And there were there were some things that are explicitly spelled out in the short story that I mm-hmm. I intuited or like I understood from the movie, and then yeah. reading the short story felt like this beautiful like clarifying rinse or like this fabulous yes, shot this chaser. expansion. Yeah. To that yes. in the reverse order film first, then yeah. the story it's based on, which is actually perfect for this kind of yeah. story that exactly. you would do things in a different order. Um, I love the linguistic play in each, you know, Hannah mm-hmm. is a palindrome because it's the same forwards and backwards. Like yes. that was beautiful. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. One of the st- one of the anecdotes from the short story I wish had made it into the film. was Hannah as a yeah. child telling Louise, I want to be made of honor. Mm-hmm. And Louise is trying to figure out what she means and come to find out like her best friend gets to be made of honor in her sister's wedding. M-A-I-D. Yes. And mm-hmm. Hannah says, I want to be made of honor. M-A-D-E. As in, this is mm-hmm. what I want to be composed of, um, right. which is so freaking beautiful, um, you know. And the heptapods in both are not the point of the story; they are a narrative mm-hmm. way of examining the question of free will and insight. Um, mm-hmm. But in this short story, we hear a little bit more of of how this is different, like how the the how the brains of these two species of beings actually develop differently where humans experience life sequentially. Our language is sequential. We think sequentially. The heptopods experience mm-hmm. life simultaneously. Um, it said they experience all events at once and perceive a purpose underlying them all. So when you mm-hmm. watch the movie, the heptopods already know what's going to happen. They know the conversations right. they're going to have with these humans. They know how long it's going to take. They know somebody's going to plant a bomb. They know one of them is going mm-hmm. to die. But the idea is... So it's both free will and enacting. So they still mm-hmm. choose to do this because they say in 3000 years, the heptapods are going to need the human's help. They need to teach right. them their language and their ways of knowing now. That's why they're here. So it answers the question that the short story does not answer. But mm-hmm. um, th- so for the heptapods, they know what's going to happen. But the knowledge is not real until they act it and make it happen. Yeah. So their language goes beyond description and communication. Their act, their language is enacting by doing this. We make it so, and oh my God, it's so amazing. You know, language as a means to bring forth the future that you know is going to happen. You know, um, it's so good. And, and Louise says, you know, from the beginning, I knew my destination and I chose my route accordingly. But am I working toward an extreme of joy or of pain? And mm-hmm. and I think the answer is both, you know, yeah. simultaneously. Um, which is kind of the point. Um, so oh mm-hmm. God, it's just so beautiful and so smart and so thought provoking. And I have seen this, I can't even count how many times I've seen this movie, and it never mm-hmm. ceases to just awe me. It's it's magnificent. Yeah.
0: yeah. No, it's, it's really wonderfully done. And I, I love um, the way in which this, the movie expresses all of this, like you said, like, in a way that is, like, you intuit a lot of this stuff that is then explicitly relayed in the text of the short story. Um and I love the way the two of them work together, you know, to kind of like shine light on each other, which I think is really, really beautiful. Yeah. Um. And I also love like, you know, you're talking about schema, right? And like our schema for aliens when we're watching a movie, right, is always that the aliens are coming in to take over, to do what we would do, right? Mm-hmm. What we have done, um, you know, especially if you're talking about, you know, people descended from all the colonizers who came in, stole land, and killed everybody. Um, that we are expecting other people or other beings that would come here to do what we have done, to, to destroy it, to take it, and to leave us, you know, dead or dying in their, in their path for resources and whatnot. And yet we have these heptapods who arrive, and, um, and in the movie, right, it's, we don't know if they understand this as weapon or gift, Yeah. right? Louise has the gift. You know. Um, and then that's how they they end up understanding it once they start to like figure out all of the language and what the language means and how the heptopods are coming to understand the human language as well. Yeah. Um, you know, but as audiences though, like our schema is aliens come down and they destroy it, and that's the action adventure movie that you're going to get. So when honestly, when I saw Arrival, you know, what it was, like um a friend of mine had suggested it, and we watched it together and, and all that, and it ended up being way different from what i was expecting i was expecting it to be you know a story of alien invasion because that's what we always get mm-hmm. but this story to have these these aliens come here and and enact and perform you know create a realization of what they knew was always going to be the outcome of this yeah that it it ends up making you question you know is the outcome the important thing or is the experience
1: the important thing yeah the and i think the other thing it does really well is it talks about or demonstrates the power of story Mm -hmm. and truth telling so the first the first lines of the movie louise says memory is a strange thing it doesn't work the way i thought it did we're so bound Mm -hmm. by time it's order she is telling you up front Memory doesn't yeah. work the way you think it does. She is honest. Mm-hmm. She's telling you the truth, um, which I love and I think is fantastic. When we see her with her students at the very beginning, nobody's paying attention mm-hmm. to her lecture. They're all on their phones, and one of the students asks her to turn on the news, you know, on the big screen. Yeah. She doesn't respond with your typical professor ego. She yeah. hears the truth of what they're asking, accepts that there's something going on that she doesn't understand. And mm-hmm. looks for information, and then yeah. in the end, when you know we get the kind of movie conflict um, that you would expect in a you know more traditional kind of movie, yeah. she finds mm-hmm. the solution. She figures out what to do by remembering the book that she is going to write about this mm-hmm. experience. She tells herself the story that yes. she needs to save the world because mm-hmm. she wrote that story to share it with with right. everybody else. Um, So, I mean, I just, I find that to be absolutely fantastic too. Um, And, and the, the fact that she wants to communicate and understand is also represented visually very beautifully. Mm -hmm. This, this woman um, has the best windows that have ever been made anywhere. Yes. The windows yes. at her house, the windows in her mm-hmm. office, I'm, on campus, you have three walls of books and a wall of windows. I'm like, can I just live there, please? Right? But <laughs> she obviously wants to see, you know. So she's mm-hmm. not just teaching; it is not a one way with her. Yeah, it is always mm-hmm. this this kind of two way communication where she is just as open to learning as she is. To teaching and just as open to listening as she is to communicating and then when we go into the ship and meet the the heptapods the the layout the setup is strikingly similar to her classroom Mm -hmm. this is a learning environment she's using Mm -hmm. you know you have the big the big screen and she's using whiteboards and and a lot of the same tools you know so you have this It is literally a learning setting where the view Mm -hmm. is is so important. And then at the end, when she goes up into the ship, like she is fully immersed. She's not behind that barrier anymore. She is in the space with the heptapods, and you get that beautiful no gravity. Looks like it's underwater, but made of fog. Seeing she is now Mm -hmm. has has surpassed this teaching, learning, communication into actually living, breathing that same space with them and I've never seen a movie do this I mean it's just gorgeous it's astounding Mm -hmm. it's it's absolutely fabulous
0: yeah I think this is a rare it's a rare movie it's a rare story Mm -hmm. you know it does things so beautifully there is this you know very short 20 minute maybe towards the end you know traditional kind of conflict she's you know the she wants to stop global war from breaking out against these aliens and her government is trying to prevent her from doing that and she has to steal a sat phone and then do all this all these shenanigans and whatever and so we have that uh, that's the only part of the movie that I'm like all right you didn't have to do that. Like I know that they did because I guarantee you that there was somebody at the movie production company that was just like, you know, the, the studio that was like, Oh no, you have to have this moment of action and climax and yada, yada, yada. Um, and, uh, and they didn't yeah, and they shouldn't have. And I wish that they hadn't, but even with that though, even as they do, All of that. And she is living this moment where she is is living within the world, knowing what's going to happen, knowing how things are going to happen. We have her remembering the future so that she can make that phone call. You know, Um, it's all right it's not It's not great. It's not as great. It feels like a stumble in what I would say is otherwise kind of a flawless movie. Mm-hmm. But it's not so egregious that it bothers me. And then we get to the ending um, where we see her remember that Ian, the man that she's been going on this adventure with, who's been helping her, you know, and, and working with her. And of course, you know, couple that works well together you know i always (laughs) love that The love story with a woman and her work i always love that and we have this guy who also loves his work i love where he's like you said the universal language um or the universal rule of you know something like that is is language and he goes it's not it's mathematics and that the two of them kind of have that little uh little thing about seeing the world through their own schemas right you know Mm -hmm. which is really really wonderful um But I love that moment at the end where she sees, she remembers her daughter dying. She remembers everything that happened. She knows that she has this baby with this man. Um, And she knows that he is going to leave her because of the choice that she's about to make, which is something that could be, you know, could cause some resentment. Mm -hmm. You know, I made this choice out of love and here you are punishing me for it, you know. And instead, she... Loves him for who he is in that moment. And then there's that wonderful moment where they hug, yeah. you know, for what is the first time. And she says, I forgot how good it feels to be held by you. Yeah. Which to me is, again, like this is a story that, in its entirety, while it is about and talks about so many things, it is about a love that defies the grief that comes from loving things. Yeah the inevitable grief that is the cost of admission for love. It says, I will pay that upfront to have this love with you. And she says that both to Ian and to her daughter, Hannah Mm -hmm. in that moment. And to me, God, like that is the moment that gets me in this whole movie. That is the moment where it's just, this is the choice that I'm making and the courage and the power of that love. God, Kills me every time.
1: It's so good. good. And I was if the first time when we had kind of that external conflict with, you know, General Chang Mm -hmm. and and China's going to start war and she remembers their conversation from the future. And I was like, okay, whatever. Well, this last Mm -hmm. time I had a different read on that. Yeah. And I wish if we had that part left in, I wish they had done more with it. Because mm-hmm. I was like, why is he telling her this stuff as if he's never told her? It felt like a very, as you know, Mary, you called me and right. told me my wife's dying mm-hmm. words. And then I realized Louise was not the only person who had the capability yes. to learn the heptopod language. So I was right. like, oh, well, he learned it too. And so yeah. he's also able to remember the future. So that is why he makes these choices so that this yeah. can happen, and I wish that yeah. that it would have moved him out of stereotypical villain. You're right, China's bad; he's bad. Mm-hmm. You know, because they did an interesting thing where we found out that the the researchers in China were were trying to communicate with the heptapods by mm-hmm. games. So they yeah. were playing Mujong, you know, mahjong, and right. and and Louise asked the question, "Okay, well, if I taught you language." using nothing but competition, where would yeah. that conversation land? Somebody has right. to win. Somebody has to lose. Um, and mm-hmm. so it was the, the channel through which they chose to communicate that led to this outcome, not because, yeah. oh, everyone in China is terrible or, oh, this is an axis of evil. And they could have teased mm-hmm. that out just a little bit yep. and mm-hmm. done something really beautiful with it and still had kind of what we yeah. saw going on. Um, which mm-hmm. I thought was was really interesting. It's there you can you can pick at it if you want to, but I think mm-hmm. they could have brought that out just a little bit. They could have made that a
0: little more textual. Yeah. yeah, I think that. Yeah, and that's why like this particular it does it feels like such a shift. You know, when we get there, like all of a sudden, we've got to have this traditional, Mm -hmm. you know, and they talk about non zero sum game and a zero sum game, and we move into zero sum, you know, Mm -hmm. which is essentially like when we talk about mutually exclusive conflict, somebody must win, somebody must lose. That is a zero sum game. That is how stories are told. We tell stories in a competitive zero sum way, right? You know, Um, and here we fall into that until we get to non-zero sum, you know, until and we but we also have that like competing philosophy um in there as well is that we don't have to have one person wins and the other person loses, you know. Yeah. Um but the whole thing is just it's so it's so good and the reason again why I wanted to talk about it, you know, a movie that actively defies a lot of the narrative theory the way that I teach it is that there are other ways, Yeah, you know, there are other ways to get there. Um, There are other ways to tell a story. And as long as again, as long as you've got fuel in the car, which is what your conflict does, um, then you're okay. And you can tell a story in a different way. And you can explore outside of those, those boundaries. But you know, my, my, my advice would be to learn to walk before you run that if you don't know like if you don't know the traditional way of telling a story if you don't know that this is how we fuel that car then you won't know how to alternatively fuel that car Mm -hmm. you know so you have to learn the rules in order to know when you don't need them and this movie didn't need them yeah it had alternative fuel which i absolutely love about it so kelly jones we have talked all this time about how much we love this movie. Um, so I am going to ask you to do a very difficult thing and tell me what is your favorite
1: part? Okay. I do have a favorite moment Um, in yes. this. So Louise is trying to communicate with the heptapods. She's taken off her protection suit. She is going to break all the rules. She puts her hand on the screen. Mm-hmm. I am Louise. And yeah. the heptapod comes And puts their hand on the screen. And Louise takes this huge inhale of breath and says, Mm -hmm. now that's a proper introduction. Oh oh, God, I love it. I love it. It's my favorite moment of the whole movie. (laughs) So (laughs) what about you? What's your favorite part?
0: You know what? I think it is. I forgot how good it felt to be held by you. Um because in that moment. Uh, Just the incredible amount of love, you know, not just that she she knows that he is the source of the daughter that she's going to have, but also that she loves him Mm -hmm. knowing what he's going to do to her, that this time with you is worth that cost of admission, you know, Um, and I'm, I'm willing to pay that for this time with you. That kind of love, you know, that the depth of that love, and and that this is a moment when she's not just saying that to him, but also saying that to Hannah, because he is her access point to Hannah as well. It is, it is such a beautiful expression of love. I just,
1: I adore it. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. So we want to hear about your favorite part. To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow Lonnie at Lonnie Dan Rich and me at Dr. Kelly Jones and use the hashtag HowStoryWorks. You can also follow all our shows and news at Chipperish. How Story Works and everything Chipperish Media does is made free to all by our generous patrons. If you're getting value out of this discussion, we ask that you help us out by kicking a dollar or two a month our way so we can keep asking, what is your purpose on earth?
0: This episode of How Story Works was brought to you by the Chipperish Media Producers who support us on Patreon at the Power Producer level. These people are the reason why How Story Works is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our February Producers. Stephania, Shelley, Rose, Jonathan, Alice, Kristen, Sarah, Christina, Erica, and Abigail. And this week's special message for our Power Producers. What surprised me the most wasn't meeting them. It was meeting you
1: stuff is happening for our patreon supporters lonnie and i released our discussion of the queen's gambit for all patrons five dollars and up supporters get access to lonnie's new video podcast with ian martin from passion of the nerd let's watch roulette where they roll a random movie or tv show watch it and then react and our ten dollar and up supporters get to hang out and watch us while we record and chat with us afterwards so if you're not a shipper supporter yet now is definitely the time to start
0: that's right this is the last episode of how story works season two we are going on a brief hiatus before coming back with season three structure but dr jones and i will return on march 24th with the first oh (laughs) but dr jones and i will return on march 24th with the second season of our read-along podcast big strong yes in which we will be talking about the book burnout by emily and amelia nagoski until then now that's a proper introduction